Hey y'all, I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 185. I said that very country. 185. Y'all, it's day slash night four of 31 Nights of Halloween. (laughs) How are you liking it so far? Hope you're enjoying it. You got the kid-friendly episode on Saturday. That'll come out every Saturday. Yes, we love those. They're so much fun, and Will's so creative with them. Yes. There's going to be stuff happening every single day, whether it's here on this main feed or on our Patreon-only feed. So if you want all the action, you should do like, you know, Natalie S. from Louisiana did. Oh, you didn't even say Patreoners. Patreoners! (laughs) It is not right with the world if you don't scream that. KL from Florida. Amanda M. from Florida. And Travis from, uh, where in the world are you from, Travis? Because we need your address. But thank you. Well, we need your address because if you want the stickers that come along with, you know, being a Patreoner <laughs> and a thank you letter and to get all this bonus content as we're headed into October, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. Take a breath. Good Lord. Oh, you know how last week I talked about clickbait? Yes. I'm no further. Who's surprised? Not me. It's really good. So whenever you get around to finishing it next year, you'll be like, oh my God, I just watched this amazing show called Clickbait. I don't know if y'all know it. She's not wrong. (laughs) Well, I'm kicking off October with a historic haunted house. Okay. Okay. I'm here for it. It's located across the pond in the UK, Hampshire, UK, to be more exact. I'm talking about the Hinton Ampner House. There's not a date that we can pinpoint when the house was built, but it's believed to have been in the 1540s in the Tudor style. The records of the house begin in 1597 when the first family took over the house. Then we know the house was demolished in 1793. It was then rebuilt as a Gregorian house, like a Gregorian style house. Am I supposed to know what that means? Gregorian? Uh-huh. I don't, I've never heard of that before. Just think historic fancy. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, you're using these fancy words. Like, I don't know what those mean. <laughs> yeah, me either. The house went through more families, and then in 1960, it succumbed to a fire, but like a phoenix, it rose from the ashes and was built again in 1963. And that's the house that stands today. Now the National Trust owns it because the Dutton family, who were the last family to have it, they did not have any heirs in 1985, so it went to the trust and remains in their trusty (laughs) and their trusted steed no that's not right but you get the point (laughs) but that's just a brief history we're going to look at the ricketts family and when they rented the house in 1765 so way back when it didn't take long before they were hearing things that go bump in the night Mr. Rickett said it sounded like slamming doors all throughout the house, and he even asked their servants at the time why they were up at such odd hours. Why were they making all that racket? But they were like, nah, my dude, not us. So Mr. Ricketts had all the locks changed because then he was sure it was an intruder. Things kept happening, but not every night. You know, it lulled them into that blissful... Oh, things are normal. And then, bam, got you again. Well, fast forward four years. In 1769, Mr. Ricketts left to Jamaica to see some property that he owned there. So his wife and kids stayed there at Hinton Ampner. I always wonder how people who have lots of money back then, like, how did they get it? Right. Uh, They were born into it and or married Yeah, but how did the OGs get it? They were white. (laughs) I have no idea. Honestly, I don't understand how things worked back then. Like, can they give me some, like, a Cliff's Notes version of that so I can know how to be that way? Right. Remember, it is way back in the day. So it's not like he just went on a plane and was like, cool, I'm in Jamaica. It was by boat. It was going to take weeks, months. 
you know, it was going to be a while. And it seemed like when the cat's away, the mice will play. That rang true, and the spirits were the mice. The first night by herself, Mary Ricketts woke up from a deep sleep from the sound of phantom footsteps. But they weren't the faint kind that we normally hear about. These footsteps sounded purposely loud and kind of obnoxious, like someone stomping towards her bed or a heavy set man. Who knows? She, of course, thought it was an intruder, but there was no one in sight. So she was like, boy, bye, ran to the next room where one of the maids stayed, and she woke her up to see if she heard the footsteps too, which she hadn't before, but they're like, okay, shh, shh, do you hear anything? But instead of footsteps, they heard some kind of fluttering noise and then a low groan. They checked out the room, but again, nothing was in the room to make these noises. And that was just the introduction to what was going to come, because from that night forward, things would never be the same for Mary Ricketts. Also, I don't know why, but in my head, you're about to say, but alas, <laughs> I don't know why. It got so bad that during the day, there would be disembodied voices in all different rooms, and it was that kind of murmuring where everything's whispering, but it sounds like there's like 10 people whispering and you can't quite make out what was being said. But the nights were when the sounds would become louder. They even heard sounds like cannonballs rolling down the halls, someone firing a cannon. And there was this one night that the door slamming got so bad, it shook Mary's room because her room was directly above the front door. Well, when they went to check in on the door, it was still locked, bolted shut. Everything was so much for Mary to handle. She ended up keeping a journal of all the daily occurrences. She didn't feel like she would be taken seriously if she sent word to her hubby about the ghost because he was a skeptic through and through. So she wrote in her journal. One injury was about moaning and that murmuring that would happen throughout the house. Mary said it started before she went to bed and when she woke up, the sounds were still going on. What she heard was a shrill female voice, two other voices that seemed to be more masculine, and it seemed like they were fighting, but again, nothing could be understood. It was just the tone. Soon after that, there was what sounded like a gunshot and then painful, agonizing moans like someone was injured from that gunshot. But then the sounds would just kind of disappear and how they disappeared, it seemed as if they just went down, down and down until it disappeared into the floor, like the sounds descended. Days did get more active because there would be loud shrieks that would repeat on a loop, it seemed, but they too would sink into the floor. And it wasn't only Mary hearing or seeing these things. Some of her staff did too, but the kids never, never knew what was going on. And she gives a lot of that credit to the staff that they kind of shielded the kids and, you know, they didn't grow up being scared. The kitchen staff reported that there was a woman who wore a like a fancy she-she kind of elegant dress and they would hear the rustling of silk as she made her way through the kitchen. We haven't said she-she in a long time. I know, right? Others witnessed a figure who was dressed in dark clothing and they would seem to stalk the halls and just go into a room, come out, go back into another room. But the people in the same room, some wouldn't see that at all. So it was like it selected certain people to show itself to. And even though Mary didn't want to tell her hubby about the house guest, after about four months of dealing with this, she did mention things to her brother, Admiral Jervis. She started to worry that her health was suffering from all the stress caused by her experiences. So her brother and his friend, Captain Luttrell, they both decided to come stay with the kids and Mary for just a bit and see what they could find out. And, you know, they were probably skeptic too, but 
be like, let's just go see what my sister's saying, whatever. And when Jervis saw Mary, he too became alarmed because she was, you know, looking worse for the wear. Is that the word? Is that the phrase? Uh, I think so, actually. You know, I don't get phrases right. But, you know, she just, mm, you could tell the days haven't been good to her right now. But soon after night fell, both men had experiences. So they weren't skeptics anymore. They heard the slamming doors. And that was followed closely by the heavy sounding footsteps that seemed to be going up and down the stairs. They even heard some of the painful moans, those like agonizing groans. They, of course, thought this had to be an actual person. So they searched the house high and low, but no one and nothing was ever found. When they thought the activity might be over, there was a loud sound of something heavy crashing through the ceiling, but nothing was doing that. Everything in the house was fine. After that one night, Captain Luttrell was like, no, no one should endure what is going on inside of this house. He said it was unfit for human habitation. So Mary Ricketts, she talked to her husband, all the things. And in 1772, not long after that, they left the house. And I believe she sent her kids off before she left the house just as a precaution, but I'm not sure. But there were still servants there, and they kept reporting seeing apparitions, even though the rickets were gone. They said that there was a crying lady who was dressed in white, and she would make her way in and out of the rooms and hallways, and again, they would hear that rustling of silk. Then there was a male figure in a dark coat that was seen on the stairs, but mostly kept to the dark corners in the rooms and hallways. Well, for a while, people didn't know why or understand how the house was haunted. Sure, it had been through a lot of different families, and it was even used as a boarding place for girls who attended Portsmouth Girls School, and that was to keep them away from the city during the Second World War. But, like, what could have caused this haunting? Well, in 1793, after it had been demolished, remember? Mm -hmm. And it was going to be rebuilt. Some of the construction crew found something odd buried inside one of the walls. And it was a small box. Uh Uh-oh. A Dybbuk box? (laughs) No. Ah, That's the only kind of box I know. (laughs) I mean, other than, you know. Your box? Uh Uh-huh. And I know it very well. Oh, okay. Gross. That's, yep. That was a Donna comment. That was definitely a Donna comment, and I am sorry. (laughs) So let me pause just a minute and say that Mary looked into the history all she could and only was able to find one thing. And it was this elderly man who claimed that he was friends with a guy who was a carpenter. And that guy did some work for Lord Stawell, and he was one of the owners of this house before them. This man said his friend was called in to pull up some floorboards in the dining room, which he did. And then he watched as Lord Stawell put a small box under the floorboards. And then he was told to replace the boards like nothing happened. He was threatened to secrecy, which he kept until both men were dead. And then he was like, oh, God, oh my God, I've been holding this in. Let me tell you. Here's all the fucking tea. Some weird <laughs> shit happened with some floorboards. It was creaking. They told me not to come when something's rocking, but it was creaking. And then you told a really dumb joke, and here we are. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just channeling my inner Donna. Oh, uh, hmm, hmm. Well, back to the box that was found, not your box. Of course, in this huge house, the construction workers were like, whole buried fucking treasure. But it turned out to be a skull. What? A human skull. What? One that they believe belonged to an infant. A triple what? Right? So, of course, this sent shockwaves through the community. But then they started putting two and two together. So, back when Lord Stawell lived there, 
Every time you say that, all I can think of is Lord Farquaad. <laughs> well, this guy seemed like a real... Farquaad? Uh-huh. Him and his wife invited Honoria to live with them. And that's his wife's much younger sister. Ew. Okay? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if she was, like, down on her luck. So, you know, like, she just was older than the people... You know, back in the day, they were married off at, like, 10. Right. So, she... Was 14. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, she was young, but it was like, oh, you should have had a life by now. But, yeah, come come be with us. Whatever. Well, then his wife died soon after, which, of course, was sketchy anyway. I was going to say, convenient. Uh-huh. And even if it is, like, natural causes, it's just like, uh-huh, sure it was natural. Sure, sure, sure. Just, oh, gosh. Well, then he ended up having a very scandalous affair with Honoria. Not surprised. But also, back in the day, this was considered incestuous. <gasps> Wait, because it was her sister. Uh-huh. So, husband. Okay. Yeah. Ew. Yeah. I mean, they're not related, but I totally get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Word in the halls, because this is what the help said, is that a child was born from this affair. But they, of course, kept that private. And sadly, she did not survive much longer after she was birthed. Oh. And there's no paperwork that shows why she died or anything. And so people were, like, kind of side-eyeing that. Like, mm-hmm. y'all can't be having no kid, because then we definitely know what you did. Right. So, Convenient. Yeah. But I'm I'm just saying. Well, later on, Honoria died in the house. And then shortly after her death, Lord Stavel died in the house from a stroke. And everyone in the community was basically like, that's karma. Y'all both got what was coming to y'all. Damn. Uh-huh. Savage AF. Yes. Well, when the box was unearthed, the community then believed that hers it was this child's skull that was found buried secretly. Well, then the two apparitions were attributed to Lord Stalwell and Honoria, basically saying they were restless until their hidden secret was revealed, and then they were reunited with their child. Because nothing really happened in the house after a bid and it could be that they crossed over finally or like whatever happened or maybe it was like poltergeist activity from the children you know i don't know but there's this renowned skeptic named trevor h hall and he said he believes all the noise and shaking and all of that came from the underground water system beneath the house but a lot of people were like, okay, 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 I can I give you that. Sure, sure, sure. But how did that cause people to see two apparitions and it was multiple different people? How does one become a renowned skeptic? He published a lot of articles saying that he was a skeptic. So he told people. Okay, okay. Yeah. He told people no. Well, I tell you no all the time. I'm not renowned. Well, if you wrote articles... <laughs> You would be. Just put on Facebook, Donna's wrong. Mm-hmm. I do that every day. Like 40 times, and you'll be renowned, and I'll just be round. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, just a little bit more. And this is one of the reasons I selected this story, even though it's short. I know that's a short story. Eh. Anyway. Henry James, who's an author, heard about the goings-on at the house, at the Hinton Abner house. And that inspired him to write his famous novella, Turning of the Screw. Hmm. Do you know what that is? <laughs> 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 okay. Well, it's a horror novella. And it's basically like where this nanny comes and she... Nanny McPhee? I know her. (laughs) She comes and she believes that the house is haunted. Like she's watching over the two kids, but weird shit goes on. And she's like, oh, this house is haunted. I mean, okay. 
you'll get it when I tell you that that inspired the season two of Haunting of Hill House, Bly Manor. Oh. Did you ever watch that? I think. Oh, Lord. Uh, You watched the first one. Okay, I was going to say, I actually did know there was two seasons. Okay, yeah. I know you watched the first one. But the second one is based off of Turning of the Screw, which... Taming of the Shrew? No, okay. Literally, (laughs) I was like, Henry James didn't write that. That's Shakespeare. That's... Oh, Taming of the Shrew. Never mind. Okay, gotta go. And you said Turning of the Screw? Yes. Okay. Dad really didn't know that. You really never heard that? No, not even... I've heard of Taming of the Shrew. Yes. Turning of the Screw? That sounds like (laughs) scary movie version. It is. Oh. I mean, it's a scary book. Yeah, but you, no, no, no. You Like, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like, back in the day, in the 90s, when Scary Movie came out, and it was, like, a, a spoof of all yeah. of the scary movies? <laughs> yeah. It sounds like Scary Movie version of <laughs> Taming of the Shrew. <laughs> I am so uneducated sometimes, y'all. No. I don't know shit about shit, and I also didn't know it was by Shakespeare, so just, let's just throw that out there. <laughs> I might be wrong, but I don't think I am. But... <sighs> Henry James is a famous author, and I did not know. <laughs> so, but I saw like Bly Manor. Is that a real house? Is that based on a real house on you know fucking BuzzFeed.com or whatever? And I was like, wait, what? And that's how it led me down this. So I highly suggest you check out both seasons of Haunting of Hill House if you haven't. It's on Netflix. It's spooky season, so it's like, you know, something to get in the mood. And it's not too scary. The first one's pretty scary, though. Because it's got that bent neck lady on it. You remember that? Mm Mm-hmm. So, that is all of my story about Hinton Apner House. You can go and, like, explore it and everything. But, again, it's kind of just a haunted history. It's not supposedly haunted right now. Gotcha. So now it's Carrie's turn to make us cry or disgusted because she's been doing both of late. Well, okay. So my story this week comes from a recommendation, duh, in the Discord, duh, from Creepneys. Duh. (laughs) Touche. She's been giving me a lot lately. Yes. And it kind of made me sick to my stomach. Oh, lovely. Well, you've been queasy. You've been queasy. I have been so queasy lately. No, I'm not pregnant. So this story from, honestly, from what I understand, because I really only saw the location like one place, but it happens in Phoenix, Arizona. So there's a guy named Ryan Waller, and he was supposed to go over to his parents' house with his girlfriend on Christmas Day. I'm sorry. I just have to interject that I could never date that man. Why? Ryan Waller? Oh, no, yeah, you couldn't. Definitely. Yeah, definitely I don't know. I was like, that's a tongue twister. And this is in 2006. Well, Ryan and his girlfriend, Heather Kwan, never show up. And his parents go on with their Christmas festivities, but it's like, where the fuck is Ryan? I mean, think about it. Like, if you had plans to go to your parents' house, they lived in Scottsdale. So if you had plans to go and you just didn't show up on christmas fucking day like that would be a huge deal yeah like all the text all the calls where are you all the things so as it turned into night on christmas day 2006 his parents are like look we're gonna call the police to do a welfare check because by the time they would have gotten there it had been too late you know like late in the evening like they wanted something to happen right then because they were you know a distance away They call police and say, like, look, our son, he's like 18. He lives in this house, and he was supposed to come home for Christmas, and he never showed up. Like, can you please go check on him? Police get to the house, and it's all locked up, but there's, like, music blaring inside. And so they're like, what the what? the what? Let me look around. And they peep inside one of the windows, and they see a girl laying on the couch covered in blood. Oh, shit. So they're like, um, what the fuck, and bust into the house. When they get in, they see exactly what they saw from the window. A young girl, Heather Kwan, who's just 21 years old, lying dead from a gunshot wound in the head on the couch. 
Oh my gosh. On Christmas? On Christmas. And honestly, at this point, it was like one o'clock in the morning on the 26th. But yes. So they start looking around and they find Ryan. But he is walking around the house, like kind of disheveled. He's clearly been in a fight. Like he's got one black eye, you know, he's got some blood and stuff on him, but he's just like walking around like in a daze, like a trance almost. Yeah. And so they're like, what the fuck are you doing? And they take him and they put him in the cop car because, you know, get him out of the scene and they don't know who did this. You know, they're thinking, and it's probably yeah. him because he's alive. She did. Like, what yeah. the, what the, what's going on? So, Ryan ends up staying in the police car for like four hours while they do investigations like around the house to try to figure out like what's going on. Damn. See, I couldn't sit in that back of that car that long. No, I'd have to pee. I'd be catching a cramp or something. Like, I gotta, you, I gotta I stand up. I have to up. walk around then. I have to be able to stand up, like stretch my legs. I have a lot of, uh, I'm a high maintenance criminal here. We are like, so fucking extra. We're like, um, sir, <laughs> I'm not very comfortable in the back of this cop car. Can you maybe, um, let me skid out, please? I mean, innocent until proven guilty. Right. Well, there was a roommate there. Her name was Alicia. And Alicia said that she came home and she saw Heather laying on the couch, but she just thought she was asleep. Um, that's that that whole thing. We're gonna kind of. I kind of want to circle back to her. Okay, later um, because I mean, spoiler alert. She had nothing to do with any of this. But I'm like, how did you think she was asleep, ma'am? What? Because like the more detail, you're gonna be like, ma'am, what? If Heather was how the cops saw her from the outside looking in. Well, what I imagine is she came home at night. And so it was dark. She thought that, you know, like, oh, she fell asleep on the couch. Like, I'm not going to disturb her. Didn't turn any lights on. Just walked back to her room. And apparently never bumped into Ryan. Unsure. <laughs> I don't know. That's very But weird. she also said that Ryan had the black eye. So, it, oh I, yeah. Her whole story is very bizarre to me. And I didn't see much information on it. So, we'll just put a little pin in her because that's weird. But... Spoiler alert, she wasn't involved in any of this, but it's okay. just very bizarre. Yeah, you don't want her as your eyewitness. No. That girl is like, worse than us. What? <laughs> so someone was dead in the house? <laughs> no, no, like making fun of Heather because God bless her. But yes. like the fact that she's just like oblivious to this, to poor Heather laying there oh my gosh. dead. Ryan walking around like muttering to himself. Eye. Yeah. <sighs> So, Ryan's in the back of the cop car for, like I said, about four hours, and they take him back to the police station to interrogate him. There is a video of this online where you can see this entire interrogation if you want to, but when the video comes on, you know, Ryan's just sitting in the room by himself, and at this point, they have taken his clothes, like, for evidence, and they have him in, like, a white plastic jumpsuit you know how they'll give people whenever yeah. they have to take their clothes for evidence yeah that gives me so much anxiety because i know that shit wouldn't fit me it's gonna be like a hospital gown can i have two no because it's like a zip up like jumpsuit like i have to go one that way one the other like it gives me flashbacks to when i was like in third grade and i would go four-wheeler riding with this girl and we would wear her dad's coveralls and they would be tight on me oh and we God. were like in third grade and her dad's a grown-ass man and it gives me the heebie-jeebie flashbacks of like fuck, I got to get his biggest pair. Yeah. Oh, God. Anybody relate to being a fat kid? Thanks. <laughs> Same. So in the video, we see, like I said, Ryan in his white jumpsuit that fits him. And you can clearly see his black eye. And you could tell that he's like... Sorry. Another thing I just thought of, because I was going to laugh when you like, his jumpsuit that fits him. <laughs> but I'm also high maintenance because I'll be like, look... What's it made of? Because my skin is very sensitive. Oh, my God. You are. You would be like, um, is this 100% cotton? Because if not, it's going to make me itch. And it would be like, I can be here naked. That's what I can do. Yeah. <laughs> Just give me, can I sit on that? Because I can't sit on. No, you got to have a barrier. Yeah, I have to have a barrier. Like, like, you don't know whose butt's been on that. Uh -uh. And you need a barrier. 100. Even in your own house, you need a barrier. <laughs> yes. Every time. Yes. That's why I don't understand people who don't wear underwear. I'm like. First of all, what if you sneeze? <laughs> well, 
Apparently, you problem. Yeah, that's a lot of people problem. Just not people who <laughs> people who don't wear underwear probably don't have those problems. Insert ad. Ninety percent of the population does. Da 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 da. Yeah. <laughs> so while Ryan's waiting on himself, he like keeps putting his head down, sitting up, like bringing his knees up to his chest, like kind of squirming around. That's I bit- couldn't do that. We talked about this on Discord the other day. Because someone had a tornado drill in their... Oh, yeah. I couldn't do that when yeah, I was a kid either. Yeah, in their school. And they were saying, oh, my God, we had to sit there, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, that gave me such anxiety when I knew we were going to have that or uh-huh. anything. Because everyone else could put their knees up to their chest. Not and, me. Mm-mm. Not me either. I'm like, I mean, mm-mm. this is... I'm sorry. I got a belly. This story is triggering in a way that I never <laughs> thought it was going to be. How dare they fit in their clothes and pull their <laughs> their knees up to their chest? <laughs> oh god! But it it really did. Oh, that was hard as fuck. You couldn't breathe, and then when you had to cover your head too, I, ma'am, look. I can't look. T Rex arms over there and big belly over here. We can't do that. <laughs> I was like, I'm gone. <laughs> if I'm Lord, just take me because <laughs> survival of the fittest. Ergo, belly not so fit. <laughs> not so fit. But you know what? My mama had my back all the time because if we had a drill or like when we actually had tornado warnings and stuff and we'd have to sit there, I never had to sit there long. My mama would come get me. I'm like, thank you, mama. mama. She's still at work being like, yeah, she's fine. (laughs) My mama knew. She'd probably like, she's very uncomfortable with me. She probably said that to the uh, front office. She probably told them all about it. Like, look, you know what? With her belly. (laughs) Her belly and her short arms. Now Donna can't do this. (laughs) Again, my mama typing in all these numbers at work. Like, ah, she fine. There's a tornado. Rub some dirt on it. Golly. Okay. You know how on interrogation tables, too, they have like the little loop that you can handcuff handcuffs to? Yeah. And it keeps them like attached to the table. Well, there's. I have that in my headboard. Okay, moving on. (laughs) So there's a little loop with the handcuffs, and Ryan's like, huh. Look at this. And just like handcuffs himself to oh it. And, I mean, that's me on a Friday. but <laughs> And so, you know, he's just kind of being weird. Like he's like who handcuffs himself, you know, and he's just like, well, well OK. He has his feet propped up on the table and, you know, just whatever. Also, I do know a friend that is a police officer and like his thing was always like if you have two suspects and one of them goes to sleep, mm-hmm. they're usually the guilty one. Right. Because they've like, oh, but I'm caught. Well, might as well just yeah. get a nap in. Whereas the other one's like, oh my God, I'm hearing it. It's not me. So usually if the one is falling asleep, they're the guilty one. So the police officers come in and they start taking pictures of the bottom. Of, they're like, oh, actually, while you're there, let me just look at the bottom <laughs> of your feet. Taking swabs, doing all the things. And while they're doing that, one of the cops is like, you should go to a doctor. That face looks bad. And Ryan tells him, like, I'm just tired. Like, I just want to go to I just want to go to bed. He's like, Man, if you got a concussion, you can't go to sleep. I was Don't go to, to say, sleep. Con- you are probably concussed. After the cop tells him, like, man, you sh- like you shouldn't go to sleep if you've got a concussion, he's like, Me? Is it bad? And they're like, Yeah, it is. Like your face looks like shit kind of thing. Did he get shot? I don't know. So <laughs> he got shot in the eye. So he just keeps telling him, like, man, I just want to go to sleep. That's it. And they continue, I'm talking for like 10 minutes doing his feet business. Well, 20 minutes into the interview, the detective comes in and he's asking him stuff like, is this your date of birth? Is this your social security number? All the things. They literally say his social security number. That's not. I'm like, bleep that shit out. Okay. They read him his Miranda rights and they ask him before they read his Miranda rights to him. They're like, have you, do you watch like cops? You've seen like crime shows? And he's like, no. And they're like, you've never watched any crime shows? And he's like, no. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, okay. So they read him his Miranda rights. They're like, do you understand? And he's like, yeah. So then the police officer detective asks him like, what's the highest like level of education? Like what's the highest grade you completed? He's like, I don't know. So they like ask him again, like, what's the highest? And he says eighth grade. And they're like, so you didn't graduate? And he's like, no. And then they say, well, did you get your GED? And he's like, I don't know. I don't know, man. And he just keeps telling them, like, I just want to go home. 
And the detective's like, you're not going home right now. So they ask him again, like, what's the highest grade you completed? And he says, B. And the detective's like, no, not like what's the letter grade that you got that's the highest? Like, did you graduate high school? And he's like, no, yeah. And you're like, can you read and write? And he's like, yeah. So then they start asking him some stuff about his girlfriend. They're like, do you have a girlfriend? And he's like, um, uh uh-uh. At this point, they know that that's Heather who's been murdered. And they know that Heather's his girlfriend. So they say, do you know who Heather is? And he's like, yeah. And then they ask what Heather's last name is. And he's like, the one who lives there? But she didn't live there. Alicia does, not Heather. He's so confused. He says, I don't know what name she's trying to use as her last one. Like, so it's like he's saying what they're saying, but not in like a very confused way. And then he tells them her last name's like Kaiman or something of that nature. And they're, they ask him like, like with a K and he's like, yeah. And then when they ask him to spell it, he's like, I don't fucking know. They ask him how old Heather is, and he says that she's 16 or 17, and she's 21. She's not 16 or 17. They ask him how he knows Heather, and he says, from school. He said, she used to be a business school, which, again, makes no sense. And they're like, why didn't they get him checked out? Right. Well, then, then he says, he being Ryan, he says, she used to be in my book name, my business name. And so the detective is like, oh, she was in your business class? And so then they kind of change tactics and like, okay, tell me, like, tell me about your face. They're like, who, who hit you? Like, who gave you this black eye? And Ryan's just kind of trying to figure this out and like tell him what they want to hear. But he also sounds like an annoyed teenager to an extent. Like, he's like, I don't know, man. Like, I'm just tired. I just want to go to sleep. I just want to go home. You know, like he he almost sounds, Mm -hmm. again, like I said, like an annoyed teenager, but like an annoyed teenager that's not making any fucking sense. So at this point, he starts to just kind of agree with them. And he tells them he didn't know who hit him, but then he says it was Heather. Then he says that she did it on accident. So they kind of prompt him, like, what you mean? And he's like, his response is, what was an accident? Like, he forgot that he had just said that Heather had hit him on accident. So, basically, he goes, what was an accident? Heather's last name? Like, so he takes it back to their previous part of their conversation. And they were like, no, 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 no. What was an accident? And he's like, oh, Heather hitting me? And so, they keep trying to, like, probe him to see, like, was it an argument? And you can tell how frustrated Ron's getting. And he's like... It's an accident. And he ends up saying that Heather was helping someone named Christina with her hair. And it was an accident. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Who the fuck is Christina? And he's like, she was on the couch. And so they're like, oh, my God. No. Like, you know, they're, they're like, you're not telling us the truth. Like, what is it? You know, and Ryan's getting more frustrated. And like I said, sounding very teenagerly being like, I don't know. You can tell that the detective's getting frustrated. And he's like, just tell us the truth. And Ron's like, what, like, what do you want to know? And he's like, just tell us the truth. And Ron's like, I am. The detective asks him about Alicia. And he says that he doesn't know who Alicia is. I don't understand why they haven't been like, huh, let's check him out. Right. Like, he's not making sense. They do start talking about someone by the name of Eric. And I don't know who the fuck Eric is. I've listened to stuff on this story. I read lots of articles and I do not fucking know who Eric is. But they ask about Eric and he's like, I have no idea who Eric is. So they ask him, do you know Eric's phone number, Heather's phone number, Christina's phone number? And he's like, I don't I don't know any of their phone numbers. So they just keep going. What happened that night? And at this point, he's like very whiny. Like, I don't know. You know, And he's like, I just want to go to sleep. He tells them, I have no idea. I just want to go lay down. Well, of course, the detective is like, okay, he said some Christina person is there and is on the couch when we know it's Heather. Eventually, the detective's like, do you know what happened at your house last night? He, of course, says he doesn't know. And then the police ask him, like, do your parents own the house? Do you own the house? He says that he does. 
And then Ryan is like, why? What happened? Like, he just seems so genuinely concerned with like, wait, why? What happened at the house? And they're like, I don't know. You're beat up. Tell me what happened. And again, out of frustration, Ryan's like, I don't know. Then the detective's like, do you know what happened to your nose? Like, there's a big chunk out out of your nose. Were you fighting somebody? And what's the thing for this? I don't know. I just want to go to sleep. He tells police that Heather is Eric's girlfriend. And he says that Alicia came home between 1 and 2 a.m. And they're like, okay, so Heather is Eric's girlfriend? And he's like, no, mine. And they're like, so she did this to you? And his response was, do what? Oh, my gosh. And the detective's like, like, your face. And then Ryan says, Alicia did it and hit it on something. And the officer's like, hit it on something? Hit it on what? And he's like, I don't know, man. Over 34 minutes into this interview, the police finally say, look, man, there's a dead girl in your living room. And he's like, she's dead? Heather? The girl on the couch is dead? Like, he's so like, yeah. wait, what? Gosh. So then he starts telling police that a guy named Richie and his dad came into the house and were shooting arrows and blowing darts at them. And the police are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Who's Richie? Who's his dad? Eventually, Ryan says that Richie and his dad had revolvers and that they had shot him and Heather. And Ryan said that they had shot him in the eye. And the officer is like, did you shoot Heather? And they keep talking about, we know you have a lot of guns. Like, you know, we're going to find them, right? Like, we're, And he's like, yeah. So again, they're like, so tell me the truth. Tell me what really, I need you to tell me the truth. What really happened? And Ryan says that Richie and his dad put him in a sleeping hold. And the detective's like, what are you talking about? A sleeping hold? Like, what are you talking about? And Ryan is like, I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know. So the detective continues on and is like, what happened to Heather? Tell me more about Richie. Like, did you call 911? Did you see if she was still alive? And Ryan's like, I just let her sleep. She was sleeping. I just let her sleep. Almost 43 minutes into the interview, the detective is like, you really need to start telling the truth. Your story doesn't make sense. It's not like it doesn't even come close to the truth. What happened between you and Heather last night? Ryan tells more about Richie and his dad coming home. And like every time he tells it, the story changes a little bit. Like they had revolvers. They had blow darts. They had you know, bow and arrow, you know, all the things like everything, like it changes just a little bit. At one point, he even says that Richie and Heather are brother and sister. He's just all fucking over the place. Finally, almost 45 minutes into the interview, the detective, after he's already said, like, you, there's no way you're shot in the eye. If you're shot in the eye, you would, you'd be dead. But finally, almost 45 minutes into the interview, the detective is like, Come, come here. Let me lean forward. Let me look at your face. And he kind of grabs Ryan's head to like turn it so he can look at his face. And Ryan whimpers and is like, my head is really oh hurting. Gosh. The detective like really looks at his face and like gets up and leaves the room. I was like, I'll be back. Well, finally, after what has now been about six hours in oh police gosh. custody, they take the handcuffs off that Ryan, in his confusion, had placed on himself because Ryan was, in fact, shot in the head two times. Damn. He had been shot in one of his eyes, and it, like, came out of his nose. Oh, my God. While the fire department's getting there and all, the detective does come back in just to, like, try to get some more clarifying questions. But his tone, very different now. Because he realizes, I think, holy fuck, mm -hmm. this kid's really shot. Like, this is bad. Mm -hmm. He's confused because he's been shot in the fucking head. Right. He's also a victim. So they take Ryan to the hospital. And, of course, he is in, like, critical condition. And this is what we know happened. 
not on Christmas Day, on December 23rd. Oh my gosh. So Ryan had been shot and wandering around this house for two fucking days. Heather was already in rigor mortis. Like, that's how they're deciding, like, okay, this is actually when it happened. Yeah. So that's why I really don't understand the Alicia thing. Right. Like, did she come home? Like, had she been out of town for Christmas and came home that night? Like, at what point did she come in the house yeah. and see her laying there? Like, that's why that story is so bizarre to me, because we now know it actually happened two days before they were found. So basically, Richie, his name is Richie Carver, had been Ryan's roommate. And... They had a bunch of disagreements. Like, one thing said that they even ended up in a disagreement that was, like, with physical altercations that were so bad that one time it ended with them both, like, pointing guns at each other. Oh, my God! Very toxic, very unsafe, very all the things. Ryan ended up kicking Richie out of the house. Apparently, we don't know what the truth is, but apparently Ryan had started a rumor or told some people that he had pistol-whipped Richie. This pissed Richie off. Like, he needed to go settle the score and be like, you're fucking lying. You didn't pistol whip me. Like. Wow. So, on the night of December 23rd, Ryan and Heather Kwan are at Ryan's house just watching TV, hanging out, when Richie and his dad, Larry, come over. So, of course, Ryan's like, okay, like, you know, they come to the back door and Ryan opens it because he knows them. I mean, you know, he didn't think anything of it. And when he opens the door, they pull out a revolver and shoot him in the face. I mean, I feel like that escalated very quickly. Well, of course, Ryan drops to the floor and he starts to try to get back up. And so they shoot him in the head for the second time. From there is when he loses consciousness. Basically, Heather was an innocent bystander who just happened to be there and so they killed her because they didn't want anyone to find out that it was them who attacked ryan because at this point now they've shot him in the head twice they assume that he's dead so police kept him in custody like i said for six fucking hours ridiculous with two gunshots to the head and make comments about how bad his face looks and if he has a concussion he doesn't need to go to sleep for two hours and all these things and never not once get fucking help for him right not only that when he was in the police car at the house the ambulance service was there and they didn't have anybody go check on him in that fucking car wow so i love that like the and i use love very loosely because i mean fucking douche canoes in some of the court documents that i read they just like glaze over that he had this bullet wound and he was disoriented and confused and police saw a small hole in the side of his nose and realized he had been shot so they called paramedics okay um after can we just like asterisk that and say after six fucking hours they Uh did that and interrogating him fucking presuming guilt Mm -hmm. until proven innocent because why would you not be like, you know what? Because that, that's the thing. That's what police officers will do. They'll let you go to the hospital, get checked out, then arrest yes. you. And it's like, I understand that he needs to be interviewed and all of that. But like, even if he just has a black eye, he got something, get him checked out. Yeah. Because that could throw it out of court. Yeah, they could be like, oh, he had a brain injury Mm -hmm. or, oh, he had like, let's just say, let's just say that Ryan did this. We know he didn't, but let's just say he did. I mean, his attorneys could be like, oh, we need to throw out his confession because you know what? He had a concussion and he didn't know what he was saying. Exactly. Like, that's why I'm like, why is no one looking at him? Like, that's how it's all looking. All my shows that I watch, that's how they do it. Well, and then, like I said, in real life, usually take them to the hospital, let them get checked out, let them get their medical treatment. Then you arrest them so that the city, state, county, whatever, doesn't have to fucking pay their medical bills. Because if you arrest them first and then take them to the hospital, whoever arrested them, city, state, county, whatever, has to pay the hospital bill. That's why they wait to arrest them after. 
So just fucking take him. It's not like it's, it's not costing you anything. It's not just fucking take him. Yeah. Let the EMTs or the paramedics look at him and then go on about their way. Yeah. Especially after he is giving you nonsensical answers. Right. He handcuffed himself. <laughs> he's he's literally whimpering. You know, like I said, he did at some point sound like an annoyed teenager. So mm-hmm. I can like if you are going in there assuming that he's lying to you. Like, just playing devil's advocate, like, because what they did is shitty, and he did not receive the care he should have received, but just playing a a smidgen of devil's advocacy, if you are going into that interrogation thinking that he did this, and he's like, I don't know, man, I don't know. Oh, yeah, I can see why they're like, you're not telling me the truth, blah, 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 but like... He's telling you he just wants to go to sleep. He doesn't understand your questions. Right. It's not just him saying, I don't know. Exactly. He didn't understand your question when you asked him, what's the highest grade that you completed? (laughs) He said B. Like that right there should have been like, ding, 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 alert, alert, alert. This guy's got a brain injury. Because Ryan, you always choose C. (laughs) Ma'am. Okay. So the police ended up arresting... Larry and Richie Carver. After their arrest, Larry's wife and Richie's mom, her name's Cheryl, she calls the Phoenix Police Department. She tells detectives that, look, Richie and Larry left the house between like 8 and 9 p.m. on December 23rd. They said that they were going to go over to Ryan's house and check on some property. And that they wanted to, quote, talk about the pistol whipping incident. When they got home, Larry told his wife, Quote, I just fucked up. I killed two people. I got to get out of here. Um, You don't just fuck up by, you know what I mean? Like, that's not just a, whoops, didn't mean that, like, didn't mean for that to happen. Like, they weren't fighting with guns. Right. Or anything. They, he legit opened the door and they opened fire. Right. Well, Larry told Cheryl, his wife, to gather all the twenty two, like, twenty two caliber ammunition and get it out of the house. And then Larry hits the road jack for California. So because she called and told them that, police were able to, like, find a gun and all this other stuff. It ended up not being the gun that was the murder weapon, but they were able to, like, go search everything. So Larry eventually goes to trial. And basically, the most crucial piece of evidence against Larry is his confession to his wife, Cheryl. Well, once it gets to trial, all of a sudden, Cheryl's like, I don't remember him saying that. I lied to detectives because they were having a bad spot in their marriage and she wanted to be rid of him, like, quote, to be like, be rid of him. And so now since she's basically recanting her thing and invoking spousal privilege, meaning that you when you're married, you don't have to testify against your spouse of things that they say in confidence basically they had to drop all charges against larry because cheryl recanted wow and invoked marital privilege or whatever it's called well heather kwan's family was having none of that shit and so they actually lobbied the arizona legislature and got the law changed it's called heather's law now And basically, it says that you cannot invoke your marital communication privileges if you've already voluntarily given that information to police. Mm. So they didn't say, okay, you can't invoke marital communication privilege, but what the the law said. So it didn't wipe that away. Yeah. It wiped out. Look, if you've already fucking told police that, you can't then say, "Mm, you know what? I invoke my marital privilege. I ain't talking about that anymore. You've already spilled the beans, so you have to re-spill the beans. Yeah. So, because of this new Heather's Law, basically it was admissible now. So, Richie Carver got natural life in prison, and Larry Carver also was sentenced to life in prison. So, Ryan Waller did survive his injuries. He went to the hospital... But some of the references said different things. Like some of the articles said that he lost one eye. Some of them said he lost both. What I think happened is he actually lost one eye and then lost vision in the other. And he suffered 
severe seizures after it to the point where his parents had to care for him 24-7. Oh, man. And just 10 years after his attack and Heather's murder, Ryan Waller actually died at 28 years old from complications with his seizures. Oh, my gosh. Now, would him getting the help he needed six hours earlier have stopped all that from happening? I don't know. Because it was two full days that he was wandering around that house with two bullet wounds in his head. However, there were some changes in his swelling while he was there. And six hours is six fucking hours. Yeah. And those cops were fucking wrong. Yeah. Well, and it's different, too, when you're wandering around in your state of confusion. Like, all I can picture is him, like, fidgety, mumbling to himself. Right. You know, whatever... You're not actively using your brain, but if when you're answering questions and having to think about everything. Right. And he even at one point said that he did go to sleep. Like, for this is what I kind of pieced together is that after he was shot and he realized that Heather was shot too, in his confusion, I think he processed that as her sleeping and he was just going to let her sleep. I think he actually went to bed. So I think... He got some sleep in that, which is resting his brain. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think I think they fucked up when they didn't give him. Oh, big time. And from what I've found, there is not a lawsuit against Ooh, the, the Phoenix Police have. Department. But here's the thing is that can you prove that that six hours caused him detrimental damage? That seems redundant, but was of detriment to his health. How do you prove that that six hours really impacted versus the other two days that he was walking around? Right. Again, I'm not saying it didn't. It fucking did. Any earlier care could have led to less seizures, could have maybe saved his eyesight, kept, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not a fucking neurosurgeon, but I do know that they fucked up big time and he really should have gotten care from from the, the get-go. From the jump. When police got there and the ambulance got there, they should have looked at him. Even if it was just a motherfucking black eye. Even yeah. if that's all he had, the EMS should have looked at him. Yeah. Period. They fucked up royally. Yeah. And it it truly made my stomach hurt watching that interrogation video because the way that he's not processing the questions, it's like, I just want to be like, it's a fucking brain injury. Like, yeah. it's a fucking brain injury. Like, listen to the way he's talking and he's slow. It, like, mm-hmm. he's saying his words very slowly and, you know, it's clear. It is fucking clear as day that he has a brain injury. Yeah. Well, how I get, I was like, was he shot with the, with the randomness? And I it. understand that they're, you know, they're, they're assuming that he's lying to him and all of that. But like you can you can see like they're not they weren't he wasn't sitting that fucking far away from him mm-hmm. during this interrogation. Yeah. Like well, I can see the fucking freckles on your face. They're sunspots, but go ahead. Then I would be able to fucking see a gunshot wound. Yes. It just proves that when you're not looking, you don't see it. Girl, that was very poignant. Oh, thank you. That was good. <laughs> thank you. That's my quota for the year, so. And that's what happens when police go into a situation assuming guilt rather than trying to put the pieces together. Mm -hmm. Did it look fishy as fuck? Yeah, Yeah. it did. She's dead. He's there walking around. But, like, he's there walking around. Mm -hmm. Like, why would he have not run or gone to his parents' house to create an alibi or some shit like that? Like, what the what? Right. Like, it's too weird. Some, You know, like, sometimes it's too weird, but it's true. Sometimes it's too weird because... They have a brain injury? Yeah. Because they were shot in the fucking eye. And, like, it just... The amount of times that they said, your face looks bad. You, if you... you no, know, you can't go to sleep. You have a concussion. Yeah. And just the amount of times that they made reference to how bad his face looked, that he's got a concussion and he shouldn't go to sleep, and, you know, all of that, and it's like... It never dawned on you to get this poor kid some help? Yeah. Like, you just got more mad that he wasn't answering your questions. 
But it wasn't like he was lying and making sense. He was not making sense at all. Like, no, I have no girlfriend. Who said there? Oh, my girlfriend. That right there isn't normal. Even if he was in some sort of like fugue state where he had just killed her and he was wandering around like like having a psychotic break, Mm -hmm. you'd still get a motherfucking help. Yeah. Yes. Because I'd be like, is he fit to be questioned? Because mm, that's important. I also never saw anything if there was any disciplinary action taken against the detective involved. I never saw anything about a lawsuit. I know there was one point where they were like, yay for the police for like getting him help. And Ryan's family came out and was like, don't no, 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 they didn't. We asked for the welfare check and that's when they went over and then they kept him for six fucking hours and didn't get him the help he needed. Don't give them accolades for fucking saving our son. Right. Also the four hours that he sat in the back of the cop car, if he was guilty, he could have had four hours to come up with an alibi and come up with, you know, like whatever, some kind of lie Don't give him four hours to sit there. No, you don't give someone four hours to sit there with no bathroom, no water, Mm -hmm. no, no nothing. Are you kidding? Right. And it's like, I mean, I get that it was Christmas, but y'all weren't that short staffed. There ain't no way. We only have two officers on duty. So you got to sit in the back of the cop car for four hours. Hell no. And he is so injured. Yeah. He can't can't advocate for himself. He can't say like, hey, I got to pee. Hey, I need water. Hey, I'm uncomfortable. Right. I'm not under arrest. Let me go. Yeah. Oh, God. That's because so... he wasn't under arrest. He could have left at any point, And he didn't know that because he had been shot in the head two fucking times. Yeah. Like, it was so clear when you watch this. Watch it if you can, if you want to. But I had a hard time stomaching it because it was so clear that he had a brain injury. And it crushed my heart. So bad knowing that he was hurting and sleepy and not, I mean, just not feeling good and and innocent. Oh, my God. Also, though, like when the cop, I'm not saying he did this either, and I'm not bashing on all cops or anything. Oh, no, 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 no. But this was like bad. There were even sometimes that they kind of led an answer out of him. And I'm like, okay, well, that's fucking leading, but okay. But when he like touched his forehead and like moved his head and all of that, you don't know what that does either. True. Because it's just like when people are, you know, you're not supposed Have to a neck like, injury or yeah, something. Yeah, pick them up or, you know, move the body because it could hurt them. Could make a spinal cord injury worse or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Because when my mom passed out, like, they were like, can you get her down to the floor e- easily? And I couldn't. And so they were like, okay, just like lay her out on the recliner as much as possible. Because again, I thought she was going to survive, but it could have fucked her up. Mm-hmm. Just one movement. And so, but for him to press on and him whimper to, you know. That, like, uh, oh, God. And I'm not saying, like, oh, that cop did it. No, no, no. He had two days of this. Like, we get that it wasn't going to be a full recovery. But just that pressure right there after fucking being under stress. And so that puts off chemicals in your fucking brain and everything else. Like, and for him to do it out of let me just look at you real quick. Let me look at you because I know you're not hurt, you know, and then now he is. He fucking tucked his tail and ran out the room. Uh Uh-huh. This, I don't know, this, this was like a different kind of heartbreaking story to me. I don't know. I just, that, the interrogation video was very hard to watch. Yeah. I don't like interrogation videos anyway. I do when it's like, motherfucking Chris Watts. Yeah. So I can just be like, you motherfucker. See, like, and I don't, I'm uh, like, can you just give me Cliff's notes of it, please? Thanks. Mm. Like, I just, I, I don't care to hear them tell their shit. Just give me the Cliff notes of what they said. I want to know how they acted. Like, his, tell, just tell me how they acted. See, mm-mm. but I also went down rabbit hole of YouTube videos and body cam footage of motherfucking Chris Watts. This is why I hand you directions and instructions and say, read them. Tell me what they say. You say, okay. This is why we work. Well, wow. Yeah. Poor family. I feel so sorry for Heather's family and 
Ryan's family. I mean, and Heather, poor Heather, you know, she lost her life. And it's like, she's not even part of the story almost because there's so much that happened with Ryan. And, and, you know, and they were just boyfriend and girlfriend having a night, watching TV, living their best life. She knew she was going to go home with him for Christmas. And, you know, and it's like in an instant. But awesome on her family, like getting that law change and all of that and being like, um, fuck no. Yeah. And there's a lot. I know that this story, I had a lot of like what he said and then she said and then he said and then he said and then he said and then he said. But I felt like it was such an important part to the story Mm -hmm. that you really had to know like what types of questions they were asking him and how he was answering them. Off the wall answers. Yeah. And then just like how his response was the same for every single, you know, yeah. so that you could really appreciate the level of trauma to his brain mm-hmm. and injury to his brain. So as always, thank y'all again for the recommendations for these stories because they never disappoint in the worst and best possible way. Thank y'all so much for listening and supporting us. And remember, creep it real and, and don't, don't get scared. scared.